For me, fashion is a verb. So it's true fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. Welcome to the second of our Indigenous Australian fashion episodes, again presented by Bendigo Art Gallery. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode all about their fabulous exhibition, which is actually the first major survey of Indigenous fashion in this country, and it's called Pin P, then make sure you check it out. You can find them on Instagram at Bendigo Art Gallery. Our guest host for this week is Grace Lillian Lee a multicultural Australian artist and designer who draws inspiration from her Indigenous heritage. And you've got to see her amazing woven body sculptures. Remember that all the links, pictures and info for these episodes are to be found at thewardrobecrisis.com forward slash podcast. Now, Grace is also co-founder with Tegan Cowlishaw, who is another voice from last week's show of Australia's first Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander fashion council. It's called First Nations Fashion and Design. And I asked her to hop on here to this intro and tell us what she's been up to. Thank you, Grace. Hello. Hi, Claire. Now, your guest today is the Aboriginal model, Charlie Fraser, and you actually recorded it in person, which is so great in this digital world. You were in Cairns in December. You were working together on this event called Walking in Two Worlds to officially launch First Nations Fashion and Design. Tell us about it. Well, um, we all came together on Kunganji country, which is Yarrabah and one of the largest Aboriginal communities in Australia, to present five Indigenous collections and designers that are emerging and that we've been working with for the past two years. So we worked with Alvarina Johnson, Emily Dula, Linnell Flinders, Nikima Williams and an art centre from Warangari Arts in Kununurra. And you actually staged this fashion performance in real time and on country and made a film. And we're going to share a link so everyone can check it out and watch it. Talk to us about the kind of format there. So you didn't have, for example, an audience in a theatre. No, it was a two-week program. So the first week was out on country. We rehearsed and connected and did part of our mentoring program out there, which Charlie Fraser was a part of. But in terms of the direction, the creative direction of the actual show, that was a collaboration between myself and the traditional owner, Elverina Johnson, who's also one of the designers. I've produced quite a few fashion shows before and I'm the founder of the Cairns Digis Art Fair and been doing from country to couture for the past three years. And doing it out on country changed everything. There's so much to do for a fashion show, but out on country, everything gets done, but it's at a different pace. Everything slows down, but it still happens just in a in a nicer manner, I think, that's not so <laughs> formalised and... We're not, you know, we didn't have range for our phones, so everyone was off their phones just being present out in the middle of Kunganji country with trees that were our ceiling and dirt as our floors. And we were welcomed by Alvarina and told that we had to be barefoot throughout the whole week. And there was a smoking ceremony and a Billy T always running and the elders sitting there watching us as we created this sharing. I love that phrase, walking in two worlds. What does it mean to you, Grace? For me, it was about being out on country, barefoot, and then bringing it to an urban context and showcasing the same fashion and the same people. And really that 
even though our environments change, it's about the people and preserving our history through doing that. Now, Grace, you're talking to Charlie Fraser, who's been mentoring Indigenous models. She's not the first, although she is a very buzzed about model right now, but here's a bit of history. Samantha Harris made it internationally in 2010. Elaine George was the first to grace the cover of Australian Vogue. That was back in 1993. Nevertheless, in 2000, Naomi Campbell commented on the absence of Indigenous models on Australian runways, noting that not even designers who were basically showing Aboriginal-inspired designs seemed to use Aboriginal models. That's, oh, Grace, what do you think about this? I mean, we're going to get into it in the chat, but do you think it's changing? Are you seeing a lot of fantastic Indigenous models coming up? Oh, definitely. We're seeing some incredible talent being acknowledged and a part of mainstream campaigns like the likes of Magnolia, um, Nathan Maguire, Perry Mooney. I just think that there's a lot of, um, oh, Billie Jean. We are definitely going to see more Indigenous faces out there in fashion. Amazing. Let's get to it. Now, thanks again to our sponsors, Bendigo Art Gallery. Fashion lovers in Australia should put the upcoming Mary Quant exhibition in their diaries. It's direct from the V&A in London and it opens in March and runs to July 2021. For more info on that and also the PinP exhibition and where it's travelling to, visit bendigoregion.com.au forward slash bendigo dash art dash gallery. Thank you, Grace. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we are on today, the Gimoy and Yuruganji people, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. My name is Grace Lillian Lee, and I'm a descendant of the Miriam Murr people of the Eastern Islands of the Torres Straits. And I'm the founder of First Nations Fashion and Design. It's a non-for-profit organisation. We've just become an Indigenous corporation as well. And we are here to support the growth and development of our Indigenous fashion industry, as we'd like to be more immersed and involved in the Australian fashion narrative. I'm really happy to be your guest host for this week's episode of Wardrobe Crisis, Share the Mic. I'm joined by Charlie Fraser, an Indigenous Australian model with an international career. Charlie made her New York Fashion Week debut for Alexander Wang in 2016 and has since worked with the likes of Prada, Stella McCartney and Chanel. Now she's here with me in Cairns for our premiere event, Walking in Two Worlds. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So let's start with setting the scene. Where are we exactly and what's coming up? Well, we're in Cairns, which is far (laughs) north Queensland of Australia. What's coming up? Well, our First Nations Fashion Design official launch event. We've already had some like really brief discussions about what we want to do with like the future of First Nations Fashion Design. So I don't know if there's a lot we can share right now because we're still confirming a lot of things, but there's like a long list of ideas that I have that I really want to see come out of this. And that really expands to obviously really solidifying First Nations fashion design as a space for Indigenous Australians to come and learn and grow within the fashion industry. But also from that, oh God, there's so many branches to it, like <laughs> seminars, schools, camps, like we're working on a lot of different things. Yeah. But, you know, we're still at the very, very beginning. So bear with us. It's going to take a little time. But we hope to also continue with walking in two worlds. 
You have incredibly donated your time, which has been a massive contribution to our organization for young women and men to see that there is so much potential for them. Can you just talk a little bit about why did you want to be involved with First Nations Fashion and Design and a little bit about how we met? Oh boy, I love talking about the story of how we met, can I just say? And I think it's so wild that we're both on this journey and we've like collided multiple times. I met Tegan initially, who is your partner in First Nations Fashion and Design, and she Oh, I met her at the Indigenous Australian Fashion Week that we had years ago in Sydney, but I feel as though it was really brief and there was so much going on that I didn't get to know her that well from that point. But I went to DAF last year, which is the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair in Darwin, and I was kind of seeking my own my own cultural journey and developing my knowledge around where I'm from and just... Australian Indigenous culture in general. And then that's when I ran into Tegan again. And she'd come up and give me a big hug. And oh, she's like, so proud of you, sis, and everything you're doing. And that was just so touching to hear. And then she introduced me to you. And you guys had your own little booth there for First Nations Fashion and Design. I'm not sure how long you guys had been set up at that point. I think that was pretty early on, like really early on. That was when we launched the organisation. So that was nearly a year and a half ago. Yeah, Yeah. like so very near the beginning. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then because I was there with my videographer, Eitan, who has been helping me capture all these moments of me on my cultural journey, I had this conversation with you that we recorded and you were telling me all about First Nations fashion and design and I was telling you all about my cultural journey and you were just, I remember specifically you saying (laughs) to me, we're basically doing the same thing. After that, we didn't really reconnect until this year on a voting panel and I thought I was the only Indigenous voice on that voting panel and I felt really heavy about that. So when I saw that Grace was also on the panel, I just was really relieved and really happy that the industry was taking on more than one Indigenous voice because I didn't think my opinion was the only opinion. So after seeing you there, I emailed and was like, oh my God, it was so good to see like another Indigenous face on the panel. I think that's really important. And like, how is First Nations going? Like we should talk from the moment we reconnected, it was really obvious that I was going to be involved in First Nations because everything that you're doing and everything that this means is so important and it's so big in the scheme of things. And I really think that this is a movement that's going to change a lot. The reason that I'm excited to be involved is because I have for a really, really long time been looking for a space where my career that I really love and am passionate about crosses over with my culture, which is something that I want to learn and discover. I love how you share that um, you were concerned that you were the only voice within that panel, because that's the reason why I also set up First Nations Fashion and Design, because I felt that I was being invited to so many platforms and spaces for me to be an advocate and have a voice and an opinion of why this is so important. And the reason why First Nations Fashion and Design exists is so we can support our voices unitedly and really start to shape and create change. 
I think yeah. independently it's a lot harder, but I think unitedly as a collective, we can really start facilitating some core structural things within the industry to acknowledge that there's an ecology of this industry. Yeah. And I think we've seen so many beautiful collaborations, but there's also independent designers, there's also jewelry makers, and there's yeah. also photographers and stylists, and there's a whole industry that really needs the support. And I think, yeah, we just want to be heard and be invited to the table. And I think that moment also for me on that panel and you being there, I was like, wow, like this is so exciting because I feel like that was one of the first times we'd been invited to the table to have our voices be heard. And I think what was beautiful about that moment is that there was so many heavyweights in the industry that were listening and they, they took notice yeah, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> I felt like that moment when I saw you there, I was like, okay, the industry is finally taking First Nations fashion and design seriously. Yeah. And I was really, really happy about that. <laughs> so much love in the room. Um, so just to get a bit of background um, about how you got into modeling, you were 18 when you were scouted, right? Yes. I had just graduated high school, year 12, And I was like freshly 18 and freshly out of school. And I did apply to study. So I continued studying that year. But within like the first two weeks of January, I happened to just be scouted. Can I ask what you wanted to study? I did apply originally for a bachelor, like an arts degree in at university. I didn't make the first round of offers. And so the second round of offers didn't come until after the deadline of TAFE applications. So TAFE was like my backup and I was worried if I didn't get the second round, then I would be too late for getting into any kind of other study. So I applied for a certificate in beauty and also in business. So I was studying those two TAFE courses because I didn't think I was going to get the second round of offers and then I never even checked it. So I don't know (laughs) if I ever got it, but I'm really interested in art and like the creative industry. It's so, I'm um, listening to you and literally we've walked in the same footsteps because I didn't get in for the first round of my university degree, which was in fashion design. And so then I went to TAFE and I did a year of TAFE so I could get into university. So I hope that's a message to people that, you know, persistence pays off. So, So how much did you know about the industry? Did you feel like, was it something that you were familiar with or? (laughs) The fashion industry before? No, hell no. I I feel like people really think they know what it is from like magazines and the pictures you see, but it is so far from that. I can't even explain (laughs) how different it is to how you think it is. Um, And I feel like you also, someone who doesn't really know about the fashion industry, you don't really know when you're in it until you're actually truly in it. Some people utilize the space to make money and aren't legitimately within the fashion industry. An example would be there some people or small businesses create like I would say agencies in small towns, but they charge models for portfolios and they charge models for test shoots. And that's just a way for them to make money. That's not actually, if you were with a legitimate agency, you would not pay for those things. They would do that for you that's a part of you 
you know, signing a contract and being within an agency. And then you would slowly like get jobs and make money. Like you would never have to pay for stuff like that. So there's a layer there where I feel like some people get lost thinking they're with an agency and they've paid for portfolios and all this stuff, but they're not getting any real jobs. So when I first started and I was scouted by this photographer in Newcastle, he was like, oh, like, you know, you could be a real model, so tall and like naturally thin and all that stuff. And so he was like, oh, I know an agency in Sydney. Would you be okay if I sent them a picture of you? And I was like, yeah, sure, I guess so. And that was my very first agency that I signed with. It was legit. I didn't really know anything about fashion prior to that point. And I eventually moved to Sydney Then I thought I knew about fashion until I went overseas to New York (laughs) and I traveled the world and there's, there's a whole nother layer to it. It's kind of like fashion inception. I don't know. There's like layers, (laughs) there's layers to it. And then I went, I remember like my very first fashion season, I I had no idea what, like so many brands were. I was like, what? Like really big high-end fashion brands. So yeah, there was another layer of learning there as well. So could you talk a little bit about before all of this, what was your upbringing like in Newcastle? What sort of kid were you and what were you into and what did you do with the family? Oh, growing up in Newcastle. Well, yeah, uh, I'm from Newcastle, New South Wales. I'm an Awabakal woman, but I also am partially Waramai. I think those two tribes are really close and slightly blended. So I feel as though my mum spent a lot of time in Karua, which is Waramai, and I was born and raised in Newcastle, which is Awabakal, so I feel as though I'm a little bit blended of both. But the sort of kid that I was, I don't really know how to explain what sort of kid I was. (laughs) I really loved school and I loved learning And I did do things like ride motorbikes and stuff with my dad. And we spent lots of time fishing and like outdoors. But I also liked being a girl and dressing up and having those kinds of things (laughs) as well. I can definitely tell that you're an adventurer. What what you've done so far (laughs) in the past two weeks in Cairns. You've seen nearly all of Far North Queensland. (laughs) I really haven't like slept. (laughs) (laughs) Big day trips with the models, which has been really beautiful to watch, um, to see your bond and love and admiration for one another. I can't look at you because it looks like we're going to (laughs) cry. So, um, yeah, it's been just for all the listeners, it's been a very emotional um, but beautiful engagement with the models and the mentoring And to have um, Charlie as well as Perry Mooney and Nancy Nona, um, who are both successful in their own right, have really been a huge support for our 13 models that are walking into worlds. So when Interview Magazine, the iconic New York magazine, started by Andy Warhol, asked about the person you most admire and you said your mother. Why is that? Oh, boy, uh, this question hits home so much. <laughs> but basically, I didn't grow up in a privileged home. Um, I think we struggled a lot through my childhood. And so I really saw my mother work so hard to put a roof over our heads and to put food on the table and to make sure that we went to school and we participated in everything. And we still had little things to like play with around the house. Like she really... I don't, I think right now, like, I don't know how she did it. Like, I really don't know how she managed 
you know, her, my dad, the three of us kids, and my cousin was also um, living with us for a portion of our life. And so like, she just really sheltered everyone. Also like all of her friends and anytime we had friends come over and stuff, she was just such a giver. And I just really saw her push through so many tough times. And I saw that as so much strength. Like I saw that as really, really strong. Like she has really pushed to provide for us. And she was just like, you know, one of my role models. I think sometimes when I'm having a bad day, I literally just like, you think you're having a bad day. Like, remember that time when mom came home and she had done this, 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 and this, <laughs> and this, 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 and this. She works all day. She comes home. She washes the dishes. She does the laundry. She like gets us all ready for school the next day and like probably barely sleeps herself. And then she gets up and does it all again the next day. And then I just <laughs> kind of shapes me up a little bit. I like check myself and I'm just like, your mother's been through so much and you have that strength in you as well. So that's, um, that's why I am, you know, that's what I admire most about her. I think that's why I'm here today as well. So how connected were you with your Aboriginality growing up? Not very much, not as much as I wish I was. And that's kind of why I'm on this cultural journey now at this point in my life, because I always identified as Aboriginal. Um, and I, you know, was really involved in all the Indigenous school activities and we hung out with my family a lot on my mother's side because my mother's Indigenous. But in terms of actual cultural activities or knowledge that had been passed down, I don't feel as though my family had a lot of that to pass down. Mm. So that's yeah. kind of a really big reason as to, you know, why I'm here today with First Nations Fashion and Design and why I'm on this journey to kind of just learn more about my heritage and more about Indigenous culture in general. So then I can teach it to my children and they can teach it to their friends or yeah. just to help preserve whatever it is that we have left and further it on. I think um, it would be really interesting for you to see there's so many similar stories within yeah. the group of models that we have and even the designers and um, some people are very culturally grounded and more culturally privileged in the sense that they have had their sharings passed on. But I think with our history of our nation, there is a lot of healing to be done. And listening to you, it's a very, for me, it's a very similar story you know, my father, their identity was suppressed in their upbringing because it was a safer place to be to identify as Chinese rather than yeah. Torres Strait Islanders. So that's why I'm really loud and proud now. And <laughs> that's what we're doing here. <laughs> okay, great. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you that, too. Basically, uh, tell me a bit about your own story and. I don't know that much about your grandma, but apparently there's a story there. So <laughs> tell us a bit about how you grew up and yeah. your cultural. Well, funny enough, we're in my family home right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I know we are, which I love. <laughs> um, so I was really fortunate in the sense that both my parents are quite, they're go-getters and they're quite united in the sense of supporting each other's dreams and aspirations. So I was brought up around two very driven business people. My mom's a hairdresser and my father's an artist and fitter and turner and all things trade. So yeah, they've been very supportive of my dreams. And in 2010, I took my grandmother back to the Torres Straits where she hadn't returned for 57 years. 
And that was for her sister's tombstone unveiling. And yeah, I just, it made me question everything about who I am and where I come from. And the best way I knew how to react to that was through creation because I was studying fashion design at RMIT. And yeah, I started exploring my own lineage through the act of fashion and through weaving. And I had an incredible mentor who's actually got uh, family connections, Uncle Ken Thayde, who's a world-renowned Torres Island artist, support me and mentor me. And I really pay tribute to my success for a lot of my elders, from my parents to my grandma to Uncle Ken Thayde, to where I am today, because now my work... Like, yes, I graduated as a fashion designer from RMIT, but now my work, I'm an artist and there's a lot of galleries that have my work and I get the opportunity to explore my voice through the act of making and sharing that in the spaces of galleries, but then crossing the boundaries of fashion as well. So it's kind of like where art meets fashion and culture (laughs) is how I encapsulate what I do. And yeah, this First Nations fashion and design space is also something that I'm well, hugely passionate about. And I just, I guess I felt that with my practice, I was starting to mentor a lot of remote communities as a consultant. And I felt that there was a need to create a space that was more united and something that could carry on beyond us as independent people and have it as a legacy to continue on. So... That's why First Nations Fashion and Design was born. And I was just thinking exactly as you said that. I'm like, that's why it exists. Like, <laughs> that's why it's here. I think it's so crazy that the experiences people have in life drive them to create things that are so big like this and so life-changing. And it's really cool to be a part of your journey in doing that. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being a part of it. Like all the people, all the energy of, and all the souls that have come together to make this all happen has all happened for a reason. And I, I couldn't do it. Like I said, no one person can do this alone. It's going to take a, a village, a country, a community to continue this on. So we just keep strong and keep going. (laughs) So um, I want to come back to the present and what's happening in the fashion industry today. What is your perception of the fashion industry and inclusivity? Ooh, hard hitting question. Okay. (laughs) Um, Basically, I mean, since I started modeling, which is eight years ago now, the fashion industry has definitely changed a lot in terms of inclusivity of a range of different things, you know, gender, age, ethnicity, shape, size. Inclusivity. Yeah, yeah. inclusivity. Like in in all areas, like when I started, it was very prevalent that you were tall and you were slender and that was a model. But over the past eight years, we've really grown now to the point where I'm doing shows with other models who are not just beautiful human beings, but they're different ethnicities they're different shapes and sizes they're different ages I've I've been working doing lots of things with people who are a lot older like 60s 70s and that I just find that so beautiful to see I don't know if it's partially because I really favor like older people (laughs) I look up to them so much I feel like they have so much knowledge and wisdom so anytime there's someone older on set I generally gravitate towards having a conversation with them but also seeing you know So many different ethnicities come through, which has been amazing because I love talking about culture with other people and kind of where they're from and what it's like been for them. 
So my perception of it at the moment is that it's growing. We still have a far way to go. I think we all, I think there's always room for improvement and there's always, always room for growth. But in the past eight years, like I've, I've seen a tremendous difference. Definitely. I think that it makes everyone feel more comfortable to see people be role models that they can relate to. So it's a powerful space to be in. And I think that the industries, sorry, I'm putting in my two cents now. (laughs) No, go for it. Yeah. Like, what do you think about it? Have, do you think things have gotten better? Yeah. I think that it's the fashion industry. Yes. It's about promoting the designer's work and the business side of things. However, things are being shaped to be more meaningful and there's another side of it rather than just the end product. Yeah. I just like the idea of that there's more heart in it. Yeah. And I think that that will be really strong and marketable as well. Yeah. What do you wish people knew about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander fashion? There's a lot of people that have gone before this organisation and have been trying to set up or have set up organisations that have been successful, but with the power of social media and all the platforms that we can access so easily in today's day, I think that we have a real moment right now. What I'd like people to know is that there's so much more to come. There's, I don't think we've seen exactly what Indigenous fashion is. I think that it will be continuously evolving. I think there's a space for emerging designers and also for potential household names that I would love to see. I think that at the moment we're seeing a lot of collaborations which are beautiful, but at the same time I want to see more education and upskilling our people so they can actively be invited to the table so it's not just us two at those tables. I think that there's going to be a huge movement of incredible talent, whether it be from modelling to photography to designers to pattern makers to cutters to sewers, like the industry is huge. So why can't we be involved in that? And I think we can because people do want to know more about our culture and fashion is a great vessel to learn that from. However, fashion can also be a great vessel to support the economic development for our people and, yeah, just for better futures for remote and urban Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And it's such a fun space to be in, but it's also hard work. But we can do that. Yeah. And we're very capable. And I think having an organization like this, which is First Nations led, is really important as well. Because I think that with everything that's happened within society, you know, years and years of trauma, and now that it's become even more prevalent within our national dialogue, people are listening more and wanting to understand how we can really support the growth of our voices within the industry. So, yeah, that's what I think about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love that. It means that I know that there's a space I can go to to learn about my culture and there's a space for me to gain knowledge. And I felt growing up that I never had that space and that's why I feel so uneducated Mm. um, in the part I most identify as. So I struggle sometimes being a bit of an advocate for my culture when I feel so uneducated. And so a big part of me going on this journey is so I can learn and grow and have depth to what I speak for. And so knowing that Indigenous culture is coming up, even if it's within the fashion space for now, hopefully in other spaces in the future, I know that means that 
if there are any other kids out there feeling the way I did, that they have a space to come and learn. Mm, completely. So that's what I really love about it. Yeah. Yeah, I really relate to that as well. I think that it's been a growing space of like programs and projects. And I think what First Nations Fashion Design stands for is for a legacy, for sustainability, for long-term pathways of education and sharing stories and growing our industry and just becoming stronger as a nation. So, Charlie, on that point, can we talk about sustainability? I know you're getting really interested in this area. I mentioned at the start you'd worked with Stella McCartney, obviously a name everyone's associates with sustainable fashion, but what's your take on it? I'm really connected to the earth and the environment. It's such a big part of who I am. Whenever I'm in the big city for a long period of time, it's super important that I get some outdoor time and I go and I reconnect with just being outdoors and just reconnecting with myself and my spirit. This is kind of like a really full circle moment because I really feel as though a part of my being that I am Indigenous Australian, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, anyone can have this connection, but I feel so genuinely connected to the earth and the environment and just plants and animals and the ecosystem, I feel as though I need to do everything that I can to save it. I'm really big on sustainability, basically. And I started with that just by taking my own little steps, like each day at home and trying to eliminate plastic. I pretty much hate plastic at this point. I see plastic and I'm like, ugh. like I live with my reusable water bottle. It's with me all the time. And when I leave it somewhere, I literally freak out. If I've got time to, when I'm out and getting food, I will eat in so I'm not getting takeaway and having like plastic containers or that kind of stuff and just taking little steps. But now I'm also in a space where I'm pushing, well, not pushing, challenging the fashion industry, especially after the year we've had with COVID. Everyone is now looking for more sustainable way of life and more sustainable fashion, but I've noticed that there are a lot of brands that preach sustainability. Obviously, I don't want sustainability to be a trend. Mm. We want it to be an integrated thing that is a part of our life and a part of the fashion industry just as Mm. much as Indigenous Australian fashion. We don't want it to be a trend. We want it to be normalised. And I really challenge brands that, okay, if you really want to be sustainable, don't just think about the sustainable product. I want you to think about all areas of sustainability in terms of like how you make the product, how you farm it, how you distribute it, how it's received. Like I've noticed that I, I buy, if I purchase something online that is sustainable or environmentally conscious or vegan or natural or organic or whatever, it then comes, it's the packaging. It might come in something plastic or a tiny product will come in a massive box. Yeah, They have to really start looking about in all areas because we're becoming really super hyper aware of it. Mm, definitely. And I think the fashion industry to stay relevant definitely has to move in these two directions because yeah. of sustainability and inclusivity because that's what we're all longing for. Yeah. And I've had lots of people ask me too, like, oh, if we're doing like a more, you know, if we're leading a more sustainable fashion industry forward, you know, that might mean, you know, having less shows and that might mean for you doing less jobs or like there's less collections because companies are just mass producing clothes that then don't sell. 
<laughs> it's almost like a silly question. It, yeah. Like it. <laughs> it's really interesting word. listening to you because I think in terms of the Indigenous fashion industry, a lot of people are looking to production within Australia, but they're also looking at not having seasons and just doing a collection per year rather than being so seasonal, approaching it in a slower fashion. Yeah. And I definitely think people now are wanting to know where everything comes from. So where's the cotton coming from? Where mm. is it being dyed? And um, who's producing this? I don't know, like, is it going in the bin? Is it being recycled somehow? Is it getting burnt? Is it going in the trash? then what's the what's the approach behind every step of the way what i would really love to see is that the high end fashion brands are at the forefront of change like this because it's the little a lot of the smaller brands and companies really look up to the high end fashion labels and the movements they're doing like fashion really filters down like there's a massive clock in new york at union square park that literally has the amount of years that we have left to turn this boat around. Mm. I definitely think we have a huge part to play. Um, the fashion industry does have a huge part to play in making these changes happen. So, Charlie, you're a role model now in modelling for Indigenous Australians. How do you feel about that? Okay. Um, I've never really considered myself as a role model, I think, until recently, and I feel as though that comes with not only my age, but the journey that I'm on right now. And so with the knowledge that I'm gaining over the experiences I'm having, especially with culture and just wanting to know more about what I advocate for now, I, you know, I have, I have an audience now that is following this journey with me and they're taking on all the things that I share. So I have to be I have to be really genuine with what I'm doing, which I am. And then I also just want to make sure that it's being translated in the right ways and received in the right ways. The way has really been paved for me through other models such as Samantha Harris and Elaine George. Like they really helped create this space, which has led me here. And I hope that what I'm doing leads others here as well. So. Mm. So I feel like we've had a lot of dreamings over the past two weeks of, um, the collective of models yeah. and mentors and the traditional owners, Alvarina Johnson being heavily involved and the elders also just guiding us throughout this whole space. Yeah, they're amazing. So I feel like this could be a whole nother ser- um, episode <laughs> of a question, <laughs> even though we're wrapping it up. But what have you learned in Yarrabah and being on Gimoy Country in Cairns? I don't even know how to answer this question, Grace. I really don't. Like... Where, oh like I gosh. said, it could be a whole nother. This is episode. a whole. This is a whole nother episode. <laughs> the the day to day lessons and knowledge and journey that we've been on up here. So I, I'm going to be really, really brief with this, but just saying that every single day I have learned something about myself and about my culture and about everyone around me, and it has been so intense emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And I hope so much to carry that on into my future and into everything that I do, and especially into First Nations fashion and design. I think a little slogan that I keep saying <laughs> is that it's more than a moment and that this is a movement. It is a movement. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so true because I, I think 
we really do need the support of people to to work with us it, yeah. it can't just come from us as individuals yeah. this is going to be a united community effort from the nation so I do I'm going to put a shout out to the community so please head over to our website you can become a member it's for free for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to have a voice within this space so we can really ensure that we are creating the change that's needed. Yeah. And like, feel free to reach out to us and connect with us because we love to learn about all the communities that we possibly can. And we love to set up programs or be involved and just be able to share that knowledge. So, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys. And that's where we hopefully see this heading in the future. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. You can find the show notes for each episode and read our magazine over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram at The Wardrobe Crisis, and I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs. Press. Finally, if you'd like to support us financially, look for Wardrobe Crisis on Patreon. There's also a link in our Instagram. But for what you'd spend on a magazine each month, you can be part of the Wardrobe Crisis Patreon community, and you'll get exclusive podcast content, articles, and special access. Because I love you. Because I love you.